Hello and welcome to Biosounds, where PhD students give you a taste of science happening at the University of Geneva. I'm Marta, your presenter of episode 6, season 2, and today we will have the pleasure to hear Professor Olivia Kaiser interviewed by our correspondent, Javin. Tune in! Hello, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Professor Olivia Kaiser. She is an epidemiologist and scientific group leader at the Institute of Global Health at the University of Geneva. The overall aim of her research is to get a better understanding of the human factors that may lead to the spreading of infectious diseases. Her team is applying interdisciplinary approaches focusing on HIV, hepatitis, influenza, as well as the recent COVID-19. Welcome, Professor Olivia Kaiser, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. <laughs> I would like to start with a curiosity question. What brought you to the field of epidemiology? Uh, it's, it, I have to say it's more a bit by chance originally. So as a child, I always wanted to go to Africa and observe large ammal, mammals and live in the bush. And uh, the Swiss Tropical and Public Health Institute at the time, they offered this opportunity. They had many projects in Africa uh, and they also had this specialization into epidemiology, which I choose then as during the master. Uh, but of course, it wasn't kind of focusing on mammals, but more on bacteria and viruses and parasites. <laughs> and uh, so I, I therefore chose epidemiology as a specialization um, uh, while I was studying biology at the University of Basel. And then uh, basically uh, I had an injury which prevented me to, to travel to Africa. Oh, no. But I... Um, but it, I then used the opportunity to get more familiar with statistical analysis technique because I had to sit at home anyway mm. <laughs> and I wasn't able to travel. Um, so and then afterwards, thanks to this statistical uh, knowledge, I got my first job offered as a junior epidemiologist at the data center of the Swiss HIV court study in Lausanne. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got into HIV. And, and later then I was offered a PhD on HIV in Africa uh, at the University of Bern. So, so that's how I got into HIV and epidemiology. That's so cool. I mean, changes led you to the field of epidemiology, but then it brought you eventually to Africa. And now you are helping people in Africa and around the world to stop the spread of infectious diseases. It's quite a journey. <laughs> Reading about your lab, I know that you have put together a group of scientists from diverse background, consists of mathematicians, computer scientists, physicists, statistician, biologists, physicians, and social scientists. Could you describe to us how do you make the research against infectious diseases in your lab? Yes, so our group is doing a lot of, of data analysis, but we also collaborate very closely with people in countries who do field work and, and also with international organizations. So it's, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a very interdisciplinary team. And uh, so maybe I can just highlight some of the past or ongoing projects. So, so one of the focus areas I mentioned is on an HIV in Africa. 
So there we use different methods, both quantitative and qualitative, to get a better understanding of the spatial variability of HIV in Africa. So it's very unevenly distribution, uh, distributed, uh, both between but also within countries and uh, mm -hmm. possibly linked to socio-behavioral factors. Um, so we use, for example, machine learning techniques and mathematical modeling and study also the uh, this uh, more qualitative literature to get a better understanding what what may contribute to this heterogeneity. Mm -hmm. And then we have, for example, one project also on female sex workers in, in Nigeria who are particularly vulnerable to HIV infection and they often experience stigma and discrimination and also harassment by authorities. Mm. So um, in this project, we try to get a better understanding of the interaction of these external uh, factors and also, also mental health disorders and HIV outcomes. And then I'm, yeah, I'm also supervising a lot of PhD students. Many of them are from African countries and they work in a, as medical doctors sometimes uh, in a clinic or for international organizations and do a distance PhD with us, with the uh, Institute of Global Health, with the University of Geneva. And so this also creates nice opportunities for new partnerships and, and new projects. And yeah, at the moment we do a lot of work on COVID, but maybe we can come back to that afterwards. But I might hop on it already, as you have probably seen that sex workers are more likely to contract HIV, and epidemic is closely associated with our social behavior and caused by many factors of spatial variability. So do you see these for COVID as well? Yeah, maybe I should clarify about the uh... The project that we're working on is particularly focused on female sex workers. It's just that they're much more vulnerable and much, much more exposed due to the, their profession, but also due to the discrimination and, and, and harassment, sometimes even through the police in the country, so that they're just much more likely to, to get infected. And I think with the COVID pandemic, we have seen actually the same. There's, uh, there's a lot of discrepancy and there's a real big social uh, gradient. And we have seen this even here in Geneva. I think uh, people who from kind of a lower socioeconomic uh, conditions that they're, much, that they're more likely to get infected. And that, that's actually another point, I think, where we need try to, to do better in the future to, to really prevent uh, these infection in particularly vulnerable populations. Yeah, it could be that they are their social or economical status made them less accessible to the resources, for example, masks for COVID or their, their environment that they have to stay in, which makes them contacting more people. Exactly. So yeah, they didn't have to, even the possibility to do the, the homeworking like many of us did. And, and they, so they, yeah, they were exposed just by their profession and, did have less possibility or, or to be protected, or maybe they'd also know a bit less about the possibilities to protect, protect themselves. But I think it's more about just 
being forced and not being able to to avoid uh, risky situations. Yeah, I think the virus kind of attacked us and shaken us all up in different levels from scientists to leaders of the different countries in different domains and to work together to find a way to solve a global problem that's touching everyone. Right now, the COVID period, it became a hot topic, but then people starting to get to understand epidemiology, understand how our behaviors are influencing how the disease is transmitted and progressed. And it's such an interesting topic that I'm happy to hear that uh, there are researchers like you putting huge teams together to understand this. Not so huge, but yeah. <laughs> when the pandemic of SARS-CoV-2 hit Switzerland, I believe the various health authorities and your lab had to quickly get involved in preventing the spread of the virus. One of the very memorable slogan in the media is flattening the curve. As a epidemiologist, what's your comment on it? Yes, I think that the idea is mainly to kind of prevent infections and wait until the, the vaccine eventually became available so that people then can better protect themselves. But it's also a, a way to avoid the, the overcrowding of hospitals so that not all infections would occur at the same time. So you, you sometimes see, or even actually now again, we, we see a, a an occurring peak in Switzerland and the, the risk of, um, of overflow in, in intensive care beds and, and lack of personnel. So it's basically to spread over the infection over a longer time period to, to avoid also overcrowding in the hospitals. And I think many countries, especially, for example, in, in Asia or also New Zealand, They tried very hard to prevent all kind of uh, all types of uh, infections, and did this often very successfully. And we we really know what public health intervention works, and, and need to combine them to really try to to flatten the curve and and prevent also as many infections as possible. And I think in Switzerland, um, yeah, we we failed sometimes uh, to to minimize transmission and and also therefore also to reduce hospitalization and and mortality, unfortunately. Could you give us some more details? What kind of projects you were involved for the research of COVID in Switzerland? Yes, so we have several projects ongoing. So uh, one of the first ones was that we already had actually a hospital surveillance database, not for COVID, but for influenza, not a respiratory infection, with uh, different hospitals, um, mostly university hospitals in Switzerland, uh, when the pandemic started. So this was an ongoing uh, running project. So we contacted uh, together also with uh, colleagues from the hospital here and the virology department. We contacted the uh, Uh, the Federal Office of Public Health and, and discussed the, uh, the possibility to, to expand this hospital-based surveillance also to COVID patients, and which eventually was approved. So now we have this ongoing hospital surveillance, which includes now 21 hospitals, as opposed to the six hospitals that we initially had for the influenza surveillance. And we really collect detailed clinical information of the course of the disease while persons are hospitalized. So that's one project. Um, 
a Swiss based project. And then I also got the uh, funding from the Swiss National Science Foundation to also study more in depth the COVID epidemic in Switzerland. So we're developing uh, detailed mathematical models. Uh, so both population based, but also looking at aerosol transmission. Uh, yeah, so recently we just completed a, a preprint article where we looked at aerosol transmission in schools and different mitigation measures and showing that, for example, the combination of mask use and, and HEPA filtration and, and proper ventilation, if this is combined, that you can reduce the exposure to the virus uh, dramatically, so more than 30-fold or so, as compared if you, if you do none of these aerosol uh, prevention measures, which unfortunately is often happening even now in Switzerland. 30-fold is very significant, um, but I think the audience would need some help. Um, what is HEPA filtration? Yes, I, it's these uh, certified HEPA filters, mm -hmm. which are um, very good to kind of reduce uh, the concentration of the, the virus uh, in the room, in, in, and it's particularly loose, useful in crowded rooms and if you cannot open windows or, or not, not so well. So we looked also at, at different opening strategies, for example, uh, of windows. But for example, even here at the university, we have rooms where they don't even have windows uh, or, or sometimes there is only one or two window, which is not ideal. In winter, you can also not necessarily open <laughs> the window and in summer it's not so effective as in winter because the, the temperature difference is not so so large so the the natural ventilation doesn't work so well in summer mm -hmm. and in winter it's too cold so it, it's really good to to combine these different uh, ventilation strategies not only the the natural ventilation via window opening but also having these filtrations uh, in closed rooms if possible in particular, if there is lots, lots of people and crowded areas, yeah. but yeah, yeah, in general, it's it's good to have these filters. Yeah, and then I think one of the most exciting projects is, is uh, was in collaboration with the World Health Organization uh, with the African region, where we were asked to support uh, member states uh, and create detailed epidemiological report of the situation in the in the different countries and to do statistical analysis and since it, this was a huge task not only for, for this small group at, at WHO which was responsible but also for for my team uh, we basically tried to find a lot of colleagues and students uh, also from the computer science department from our global health master from, from the uh, from EPFL in Switzerland, uh, who helped with these data analysis. So we created the full network of people, which was very interdisciplinary. And we did kind of data analysis on a joint platform, which was offered to us to, by EPFL uh, to really create these, these reports. And we had lots of researchers also and, and people who had connections to ministries in, of health in countries and so, yeah, so we build up this network, which we hope now to sustain and maybe also use for, for other purposes. Yeah, I know there's in the media coverage, uh, indeed, the healthcare workers, the frontline doctors and nurses are really working a lot in helping the patients. 
but also like what you described, there's a lot of projects and a massive network and people in the background doing the surveillance, the planning, the strategies. And yeah, it will be great that if the network stays and then we are able to pick up or react faster to the next possible epidemic or pandemic. Yes, exactly. That would be the idea. So it could be leveraged to yeah, potentially new epidemics, but even for other um, kind of disease monitoring in other areas. And just to have this kind of, yeah, this learning platform and interacting with each other and uh, across disciplines and across hierarchies was, was very motivating, I think, for everyone. So what would you say people should learn from the COVID pandemic? Oof, I think it's a difficult question. So uh, we, we will probably analyze over years now to come what went wrong and what could have been improved <laughs> and so on. So I think what what was what the pa- pandemic showed is that first we need better monitoring systems really globally, uh, including also in Switzerland. Uh, uh, I think this pandemic has highlighted also how important collaboration and and data sharing is and that's not always easy and in particular if there's different stakeholders involved and and it's not always clear who is responsible for what Mm -hmm. but also that communication is very key so we have seen that trust in health authorities and researchers have not always been optimal and we need to find better ways of Um, how to systematically counter misinformation, for example. Mm. And unfortunately, I think there are many key challenges which will make the situations not necessarily easier, like further urbanization, population growth, deforestation. Uh, But I think the big success story uh, from which we can also learn for, for a long time, I think, is the really the development of so many vaccines in record times uh, without compromising the security. So the process was really streamlined. And I'm very confident now that the mRNA technology and uh, also the streamlining of the process of approval, that it will be also very useful for for many other diseases in the future. And I think some, some other vaccines for different diseases are already in development using this technology. Yes. Uh, what is disappointing, I think, and which we also need to definitely improve even now, not only for the future, is the, the lack of equity of how these vaccines are distributed. So in low-income settings, it's still less than 2% of the population which is vaccinated. Yeah. And I think, yeah, one of the most important things is really also to, to react very quickly. And uh, I think that Mike Ryan from the WHO said it really nice, uh, nicely. So he said basically, uh, be fast and have no regret. So really, you know, kind of if you wait until, you know, you're sure that something works, you will be too late. So you need to react quickly and be proactive. Wow. It sounds like a very nice closing remark of this episode. Thank you so much for accepting my interview. And I wish you all the best for the future research. Thanks very much. <laughs> That brings us to the end of this week's episode. For future listeners, this interview was recorded in early September of 2021 and represents our contemporary epidemiological context. Thank you, Jamin and Professor Olivia Kaiser, and thank you for listening to Biosounds, the first podcast hosted by PhD students from the University of Geneva. 
Stay tuned for our next episode to hear from Manel S.I.D. Laziozzi, a researcher from the laboratory of Professor Isabella Eckerle. Here's a sneak peek. Because we are not immunized against this virus, I mean, I mean the human population, the virus can cause an outbreak, it can spread more quickly and can cause also sometimes more severe symptoms compared to the animal host, the original one.